0: Don't, don't sit down. Don't move yet. No, stay right where you are. I hate to interrupt your great conversation. No, don't, don't go back to your seat yet. Here's what I want you to do. While you're right where you're at, we're gonna start with a little exercise. We're gonna be a, we're gonna, um, we're gonna do this message today. This, we're gonna do this together today. Alright? So we've got a couple of things you're gonna participate in. And the first one is, you're gonna find somebody, it could be the person you're with right now, and if it's not an even number, Three people can kind of gather. All I want you to do without saying a word, I just want you to look at them and pay attention to the words that come to mind as you're looking at your friend or your soon-to-be friend or your enemy, either one. Um, All right? So we're going to be really quiet, and we're just going to look at them and pay attention to what you feel and what words you notice come to mind, okay? So find somebody and just stare at them. I'll time you for about 30 seconds. Go. No talking. (laughs) I know it's hard. Keep looking at them. Keep looking. Okay, you can have a seat. Go ahead and find your seat. And while you're doing that, give me a word or a feeling that you experienced while you were looking at your friend or new acquaintance. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. What else did you see? So you thought friendship came to mind? Servant? Servant. Servant. Lonely? Lonely? Open? Genuine? Genuine? Beauty and love? Kindness? Kindness? Happy? Happy? Giggling? Giggling? Some of you are thinking, I should have sat where they were sitting. But, But mostly, other than uncomfortable, awkward, I'm guessing those probably came up. For the most part, probably more positive kinds of Thoughts and feelings are what came to mind. All right, I need some of the ushers on that back. Um, this is your prompt. I forgot, I need I need about five or six of you. On the back, um, no, they're right here on this last, last chair. I'm sorry, on the last chair. All right, divide those up, and as quickly as we can, I'm going to start passing out some mirrors, little hand mirrors, all right? There's probably not enough for everybody to have one, but every one to two people... And if you're sitting by yourself, just keep one. That's fine. Just start passing those out. And as we do that, as you guys do that, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. I became familiar with this Scripture early in my coming coming to become a follower of Jesus, coming to Jesus as a ninth grader in high school. And I don't know why, but this seems to be one of the more popular verses in the Bible almost. In fact, I've heard this verse quoted perhaps more by people who are not followers of Jesus than I have people who are followers of Jesus. And it's in Matthew 7, and it's verses 1 to 5. And it's this word, judging, is what's going to show up. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will clearly, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Alright. If we've got enough mirrors passed out, you might have to hold it out. So that two of you can share one. You guys got one? Alright. Might have to scooch in. Alright. Raise your hand if you're, if you're, uh, there's no mirror anywhere near you. Alright. Alright. 30 seconds. Again, if we can do this quietly, and I'd like for you to look, when you're sharing, don't be looking at the other person. I want you to look at you. Just you. That's why it's a mirror. Alright? Try to only look at you. Same instructions. Pay attention to what you see, words, and feelings. Go. (laughs) Even those of you who perhaps didn't have a mirror, you can play along at this part. Which is harder? To stare at your friend or to stare at the mirror? Which experience conjures the more negative feelings. Now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll give you my experiences with this exercise so you don't have to out yourself. What words or feelings came to mind often I hear old? As a matter of fact, I would say that's almost I guess it depends on the audience, but... But that's certainly one of my feelings. Old, tired. And then I want to notice as people become quiet. Because it's too hard to say out loud sometimes that word that, or feeling. Not enough, failure, loser, less than. Nobody really knows. Hidden. Shell. On and on and on. May not have been your experience. But trust me that most people's experiences with the mirror versus the friend is that the mirror conjures negative emotion. And the friend most often conjures a positive experience. I'm going to have to admit that I'm going to have to sort of make up a couple of words to help us have this conversation. The reason is that the same word is often used what feels like in our culture interchangeably, but they're not interchangeable words. And it is this word judging. What Jesus is describing here, I believe, is a word we're going to call, as much as I can try to remember to use it in this way, being judgmental. And judgmental is rooted in the experience you just had. Judgmental is rooted in a self-loathing. Judge is a different kind of word. And it gets confusing because it sounds like, and you've heard quoted and we have kind of have in our mind we're not supposed to be judgmental and that's true but then there's other times in the bible where it seems really clear that we're called to judge. And how do how do we do this? Because almost any time this concept is talked about it's in a negative connotation. You're being judgmental. Maybe true, but you may just be judging. I'll give you a couple examples. In 1 Corinthians, he says, this is Paul talking in that letter and to, a, to a church that, man, it had its issues. He's saying, hey, it's not for me to, to judge those outside the church, not those outside the church to be judging, but it's our job, are you not, to judge those inside the church. And then one that I'd like you to listen just to the tone of this. Listen to the tone As Paul finishes up his letter to the Galatians. Galatia was this big area. Big issue with the early onset of the, the gospel. The thing that we build our faith on. Getting attacked. And Paul is, listen to the tone of this. Brothers and sisters. If someone is trapped in a sin. You who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Or you also will be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna help us try to begin to have a conversation about judging versus judgmentalism. Those of you that were here last week, I've called this peacemaking 101.5. And the reason I'm saying that, and this is a little bit of, even to speak back into last week, if you weren't here last week, we began this conversation that is really hard to have. And the reason I'm using such a low bar is I'm telling you, I don't know that much about this stuff. I'm telling you that it's it's not an easy concept, peacemaking. And I'm telling you that I, I feel like I've entered into this conversation only in the last eight months. I'm no expert. I'm giving you my my real-time experience with trying to learn about peacemaking. And In that journey, I've discovered in my own heart that this is one of the issues that's coming up. How do I discern when I'm being judgmental versus this good thing? You see, often in the Bible, judging is what leads to life. That's one of the ways you can begin to distinguish them. Judged people... So, judgmentalism is bad, judge is good. Let's just make it binary and easy in that sense. Judgmentalism is bad, but judging is good. Judging, as we kind of heard in that Galatians passage, leads to community, leads to connection. Judging, saying what we believe to be true, leads to life. Judgment, judging, is on the table and is in the light. It's exposed. It's not a hidden agenda. Often judging is dealing directly with an individual in a conversation. Judgmentalism is almost always never with the person you're talking about. It's almost always talking to somebody else about somebody. These are just little hints. I'm not saying this is not a perfect system. It doesn't always work this way. But most often, judgmentalism is rooted in gossip and assumptions. I love how, in the Galatians passage I read, he says, in gentleness. See, judging understands that there is maybe a lot going on that I don't know about. What else might be happening? In in judging, in in trying to together find truth in life, we ask those kinds of questions. What else might be happening? For instance, is there an issue with mental flu? That's not a word you're familiar with. It's because I made that up. And the reason is, is I've got my own little agenda. Side note, I've got my own little agenda about mental illness. Mental illness is real And I believe every human being Suffers from mental illness In other words, I believe that your body Is physically decaying So we have no problem Talking about a physical deterioration And we all live with that assumption We're all getting older And unless something, something intervenes We're going to die of some kind of age-related disease all Right? We all agree with that I'm 54. In my brain, I still think I'm 30. And I wake up the next morning going, nope, once again, you were wrong about that. Because no matter what I do, my body is decay. Our brains also are on some kind of continuum of what I like to say is mental flu. If If somebody comes to me and they've got a cold or a flu, I don't view them as having a character defect mental illness i believe everybody is somewhere between 1 and 10 of a brain that doesn't work perfectly but often when we confront people who struggle with mental illness we attribute a character defect to that so i'm just saying in judging we consider other other stories that might be happening and one of those might be mental flu in my faith community we have a lot of mental flu we talk about it a lot Is there something biochemical going on? Is there a low cognition issue? Is there a trauma issue related to this person? All that when we are judging is part of the story. But when we're being judgmental, none of that matters. Judging is about another person and wanting loving connection. Judgmentalism is often about Let me give you a couple of hard examples. Because we've got to begin some way to practice this. Before I do that, I want to read a quote that I found on the internet. This is a quote. And it is related to a Christian forum... That's an Internet conversation. So that's a conversation that's happening on the Internet with lots and lots of people from anywhere in the world can participate. And this particular pastor is the moderator of this forum, and this is what he said. As a longtime pastor and forum contributor here, time and time again, I have seen unsaved scum waltz in here and tell us Jesus said... We shouldn't judge others. I find the irony of this almost unbelievable. It's almost unbelievable. Time and time again, I have seen unsaved. That might be a true judgment. The person may describe themselves as that way. That doesn't have to be necessarily judgmental. Often it is, but maybe it's not. Maybe somebody goes, yeah, I'm an atheist or whatever. I have seen unsaved scum, judgmental, pretty sure, pretty clear on that one, waltz in here and tell us, Jesus said, we shouldn't judge others. All right, let me give you a couple of possible practice tests, and then we're going to practice together. All right, first one. I'm going to talk about gluttony for a second. Now, I'm not, I don't know everybody in this room, but let's, I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to make an assumption that we would all perhaps agree that the scriptures would say that gluttony is a bad idea. Now, I'm, I'm also kind of toying with how we talk about what we usually use this catchphrase called sin for, which is fine. But we've got to be clear when we're using that term, how we're using it. I'm often helping people understand that sin is really more about me doing something destructive to myself. Even though I, I kind of know that it's not a good idea. But I have this impulse that in this moment, it's going to help me really live. It never works out. But sin has something to do with me being sort of self-destructive. But believing it's going to make me feel more alive. There's other definitions. But let's take gluttony. And the reason I pick gluttony is because it is an issue in my life and has been a part of my story for a long time. My father died of morbid obesity. He had lots of addiction issues. One of those happened to be food. He died young. The whole time I knew him as a child and even into my early adulthood when he died... He was well over 400 pounds, and I'm sure he exceeded that even at times. The reason I bring up gluttony is we all agree it's wrong, let's say, and and by wrong, it's not that it's it's self-destructive. It's just not a good idea. The problem is how do we know if somebody is a glutton? And most often, we think we know because of how they look. As the example I just gave with my dad. That seems to be the story of God. But can skinny people be gluttons? Well, of course they can. In fact, I had a conversation with my doctor about this. Because you see, my metabolism is pretty shot. One of the reasons it's shot is because for the last 40 years, I have had pretty dramatic weight swings. So, up 50, down 50. In the last three years, I lost 70 pounds. (laughs) What's different about me than maybe lots of people is you don't notice it with me as much. I mean, you would notice I might be, you might think I had gained 15 pounds when, in fact, I had gained about 40 pounds. So, I was talking to my doctor about this. And he said, Carl, Carl, weight? You've got to get weight and calorie consumption divided. Because I'll tell you this right now, I've had patients, I've had a 600-pound patient who was down to under a 1,000 calories a day and could lose no weight. So here's a 600-pound person walking into our world, and my assumption is they're being viewed as a glutton and they're eating less than 1,000 calories a day. Now, I've got a small group of friends that know that I'm at risk for diabetes and that I also have a food um, sort of drug issue. That when I'm sad, lonely, when I'm hurting, I tend to use that. So they have permission... Say, hey, Carl, I saw you with, you know, we, we had coffee this morning, and you you already, you looked like you were drinking a, a large chocolate shake, and then I saw you at four, and there was another chocolate shake, and um, I'm just wondering, are you okay? It's a different conversation. Because, see, they care about me. Judgmental is when they would go talk to their friend about, hey, did you notice Carl, he's eating a lot of chocolate shakes. Has no discipline. Weak, weak, weak character. All right. How do you know if somebody's being a glutton? You almost have to ask them. Who wants to be in that conversation? (laughs) Like, who's going to volunteer for that? Right? But have you ever had the conversation about somebody's eating, but not to that person? One more. Greed. We would all agree, yeah, I'm assuming this, that greed in the Scriptures is described as not a good idea. Again, the same thing. It is self-destructive. It hurts me. It destroys me. It, it, it's an idol. It's all kinds of stuff. It, the Bible is full of, it's full of metaphors to help us understand what it is to give our lives over to something that isn't God and life-giving. Greed is one of those. How do you know if somebody's greedy? Can you tell by what kind of car they drive? We think we can. We think we can tell by what kind of house they live in or what kind of car they drive. We think we can tell by where they go to vacation. But we can't. When I was in Bible college... There was a kid that was a few years before me that had given his life, kind of taken this this Protestant vow of poverty and was going to go to the mission field as a single man with very little support. He wanted sort of this um, monastic, almost kind of immersion experience with people. To do that, he did have to raise a little bit of money. You're familiar with how missionaries support themselves. They raise a little money, and they usually have to go from church to church to church and travel. He had no car because he had made this vow. His uncle who was a resourced person, had a jaguar that he wasn't going to be using. So he let his nephew borrow the jaguar to go raise money to go on the mission field. All right. Are you, okay, you're, you're way ahead of me. So the kid pulls up in a jaguar. It's some Midwest little country church to ask for money. And he is so not into money that he's not noticing that when he does that, he's not getting any money. He's not raising any money. Why is he not raising any money? I'm not going to give to that rich kid. He had finally had dawned on him, so he started parking the Jaguar six blocks away and walking to the church, and he could then raise money. <laughs> That's judgmental. Judgmental is when we believe without any investigation We know the assumptions, and we know the story. What makes this so hard is, remember, judging brings us into relationship with people. The goal of judging is to bring into more intimate community, more connection. Judgmentalism has the exact opposite intent. It wants you to go away. you can see how this relates to peacemaking. Judgmentalism is rooted somehow in my own story, either my own self-loathing or my my own belief that I am omnipotent and omniscient, that I know what people are thinking. I know what motivates people. And not only that, judgmentalism has... Oftentimes, this idea that I can fix it. You're familiar with I-70 and I-25, that intersection. If you've lived in Denver as long as I have, that's a perpetual construction zone, right? There's never, I I don't know that I can remember ever a time where I've been able to exit off of I-25 onto I-70 and not been stuck in a line. I have no idea what this is about. I, that's a, I'll be judgmental later about the government. But all I know, this is judging. That always happens to me. And you're in this, and you're barely moving. And, there, and I am in that moment with my wife. And I'm just barely, you know, moving along, and I see the long line. On my right is a very wide emergency lane. And as I look into my mirror, I see a big truck zooming down the emergency lane that's wrong you can't do that and so because God had appointed me that day to be the caretaker (laughs) of the proper way to drive I simply moved over into the emergency lane and kept pace with all the cars Big truck, lights blinking, horn honking, but I'm secure in Jesus. I don't need his approval. My wife, who is lying on the floorboard, is begging me to please move over. No, honey. I know what's right, and I know what's wrong. That's wrong. I don't remember exactly, but maybe about six weeks later, I'm trying to get my son to the airport and it's a pretty critical flight he needs to make. And I had not anticipated the traffic jam at the intersection of I-25 and I-70. And God knows my good heart and that my only option is to get into the emergency lane. and bypass all those losers (laughs) who do not know about grace. (laughs) Judgmentalism is when, without investigation, I believe I know more of the story, when I believe I know assumptions. And it's often rooted, actually, in that thing in me that I don't like. I'm going to put a verse up on the, on the screen here. And we're going to practice judging versus judgmentalism. It's a pretty famous part of the scriptures. It's found in a, in one of the letter, in a letter called James. It says this. My dear brothers and sisters... Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated, have you not been judgmental among yourselves, ...and become judges with evil thoughts. All right. So we're going to practice. Verse 2. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice judging. Judging is what I know to be true. This is the information that I have... ...and I, I'll be more generous than just that. I, I, I have some fairly safe um, experiences... ...that I might also speak in a little bit to this. All right? So, here's what I want you to do. Find somebody next to you. Or you can write this down yourself, but it would be better if you did it just in a small group. It will only take a second. And I want you to judge verse 2. In other words, what is true? What do you know to be true just about verse 2? All right? I know. Does it seem obscure? Can you, you understand what I'm saying? What is the judgment about verse 2? What do we know to be true? All right? Make a make a little team, talk about that for just a second. Or you can write it down if you're by yourself. Okay. All right, what did you see? What do you what do you what, what's true? Anybody? If you take the word poor out of the whole sentence, then just Okay? Except for the word poor, it's just facts. Okay? Both of them wanted to come to church. Both of them to come to church. Okay? Yep. Okay. Nothing stated, nothing stated about their knowledge. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or character. Nothing about their character. We know nothing about character. <laughs> Might be a little judgmental. I don't know. I'm not judging that. But. All right. So there's some information here, and you you did great. You did great. Not really as much as you would think. We don't know that. We really don't know anything about their character. We don't know anything about their story. We don't. We we just know this person has fancier clothes than this person. And fancy is a you know kind of a cultural judgment, but I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. I don't know how they got them. I don't know why they have them. I don't know any of that. All right. Let's look at verse 3. And in verse 3, we experience the result of judgmentalism. All right? So what was the judgmentalism that was happening? In verse 3, we know that judgmentalism has occurred. All right? In verse 2, if it ended with that nothing. But verse 3 gives us a clue that that's not what's going on. That's why this word shows up here. Not in the life-giving, affirming way that is often used, but in the way that leads to quiet conversations, secret little gossips, and often with some deep wounds in a human's life. Verse 3, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. What were some of the judgmentalisms, I told you I was going to make up words, that have occurred? Right, some assumptions. What are some of those assumptions? Wealth is privilege. privilege. What else? (coughs) Poor is bad. Poor is bad. What else? The got their in a way. Say what? The got their in a way. Yeah. They earned, it. they earned it. Wearing good clothes makes you rich. Poor person does not deserve the same treatment. The the inside story, I'm assuming, goes something like this. This person seems, could be wrong, of course, but they seem resourced. This person seems to be unresourced. I like to be with resourced people if I'm part of this story. I prefer resourced people. Why do I prefer resource people to unresourced people? Because resource people can do something for me that a unre- non-resourced person can't. So the story, if it, were, if it were set in today's, might be, hey, if this guy has a good experience at church, he might stick around, and if he sticks around, we might be able to make our budget this year. This guy is never going to help us make the budget. It's not that we don't want him there at all. Look how benevolent we are to offer him a seat at the back. And what we're saying is that the resource person is better than the unresourced person. And so we become judges with evil motives. Our assumptions are about us. And remember, one of the ways you know is because you're not going to want to be having this conversation out loud. Two people walk in. Nobody in church is going to go, wow, you look rich. You look poor. Would you help us kind of over time make our budget? Come. This is a really nice seat. This is one of our best seats right here. We want you to sit here because we want you to stay. Well, because we want your money. We're not going to have that conversation out loud. I had said at the beginning that it was rooted in our own stories. I haven't really talked about that too much. As it relates to James, you see, in my story, I believe, if you really examine some of my theology, that that God likes rich people better. I wouldn't say that out loud because... I know that's not true as I, under, as I read the scriptures. As a matter of fact, I might, I might be the opposite, but, but at least God has no dis, isn't distinguishing. But I believe that when people are resourced, when I'm resourced, that means God is loving me more than those times when I struggle and I don't have resources. My wife and I like to walk we, we like to go on long walks. We, we try to walk quite a bit. My wife, I don't know, have any of you seen the new Jurassic Park or familiar with the Jurassic Park movie storyline? You see somewhere, I don't know, but in utero, somehow mountain goat blood got into my wife's DNA. <laughs> because my wife and I can I can keep track, I can keep pace with my wife until we hit a hill. And I'm telling you, I've never seen somebody who can take a hill faster than my wife. She's very athletic, and she just has this gear that other human beings don't have. I don't know how she does this. And so she'll often say to me, if, as we're on these long walks, but we come to a hill, she'll go, hey, honey, I'm just wanting to get a little more, you know, I, I just want to get a little more kind of push, and I like to challenge myself. How, I'm, would you be okay if I just, if I kind of go on up to the hill, and then I'll slow down and wait for you? Now, but I, I, of course, out loud say, well, of course, sweetheart, that, that would be fine. And in my heart... I think she's so competitive. <laughs> so, a couple of weeks ago, we were on one of these walks. And she, uh, that story, we came to a big hill in our neighborhood. She said, Hey, I'm going to kind of scooch on up there. And I said, That's fine. And the whole time I'm walking, I'm thinking about how stinking competitive that girl is. The reality is, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm a little embarrassed that I can't keep up on the hills with her. That's part of the story. And so I get so I'm, I'm having this thing go all through my head. And I get at the top of the hill, and we're walking. And she goes, "Are you okay?" And I say, because I'm a truth teller, "I'm fine." <laughs> and we go a little longer. And she goes, "Honey, I don't. It doesn't feel like you're fine. I'm not trying." And I said, "You know what it is? You're competitive." <laughs> Interesting part. The beginning of this walk. I had shared with her what I was going to be talking about here at Bergen Park this week. About the difference between judging and judgmentalism. And my sweet, lovely wife says, wow, that feels really judgmental. <laughs> at which time I flipped her off. But anyhow, I, um, I, I, because now, honestly, when she said that to me, I was so pissed. Like, how can you be, you're just being judgmental by telling me I'm being judgmental. And then as we're walking, I start thinking. One person alone in reality cannot be competitive. It would always take at least two people to be competitive. (laughs) Who's really the competitive one? Who's the one that really wants to be the one in charge? Who's the one who believes getting to the hill first is what matters? Not my wife. Me. Me. Last week, we discovered that when a story is hard to hear, we know that that might be a time to try to listen. And today we hear when a story is hard to hear we may want to examine ourselves. And if we really do want peace, then we're going to talk to them. But if we don't want peace, we'll talk to others. Let me pray for us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because at the very beginning of our time together, you noticed that I was wearing a a bicycle helmet. And you've wondered about that. And, And during the course of our time together, you have, perhaps, I don't know this, but I'm wondering if you had thoughts at first, that's weird. Oh, I bet you that's going to be part of the sermon. Maybe you had things like, man, that guy sure needs a lot of attention. Or I wonder if he has a head injury. But at some point, you probably were able to turn that down and you didn't even notice anymore. It's, it's hard, but it's not impossible to begin to turn off the story about our assumptions and what's going on and just accept something for what it is. Carl's wearing a hat or a bicycle helmet. People don't usually do that at church. That's about all you knew. I'm not saying it was easy. But you see how you got over it? What if we were able to do that with the people in our lives? So Lord, help us. The world's never going to be the way we want it but we can be part of you redeeming it. And we can be peacemakers. We can be people who learn to not be judgmental, but to judge, to say what we know to be true, to judge clearly. You love everyone. You give grace to all. You are generous. You Call us beloved. Help us make those judgments. Amen.